Good morning, everyone. Happy Memorial Day weekend to all of you. My name is Tim Homa, and I am the campus pastor for our new Richmond and Rosenberg campus that's going to be launching here in early 2020. So glad that you are here. If you're new here this weekend, we welcome you. We hope that you will feel like home visiting with us. We're glad that you've decided to be here on this Sunday morning. Back in 2003, I was a guidance counselor at a high school in Las Vegas. And during that season, during that year, I was in my, uh, getting my master's, doing my graduate work at a university that was really close to the school where I worked. The only problem was the school and the university were 35 miles from where I lived. So I was excited that in 2003 that the university opened up a new satellite campus a little bit closer to my house. So when I went to uh, the campus that one Wednesday back in 2003 that I will forever remember, uh, I pulled in and the building was complete. The parking lot was not. And if you've ever been to desert, into the desert or into Las Vegas, it's all sand and then some. And we had piles of dirt everywhere. So when I pulled in at 6 o'clock in the evening for night class, I had to find some area in the dirt to park my green Jeep Cherokee. And so I found that spot, I got out, I went to class. After class got out at 10 o'clock, it was dark. And so when I got in my car to leave, I was supposed to turn right, I turned left and drove my Jeep Cherokee over an embankment and got stuck in a pile of dirt. So knowing that I grew up in Chicago and how to get out of snow, you, you know what you do, you put it in reverse. Well, I just made deeper ruts. And then I put it in forward and even deeper, I was officially stuck. Now, the smart thing that I should have done was as my classmates were leaving, I should have, you know, flagged them down and asked for a little help to get myself out of that stuck situation. But my wife has always said I'm not the sharpest tool in the shed. So I ended up sinking down deep in my chair because I was so embarrassed that I had gone over the cliff there and got stuck and watched my classmates go by. And then I got smart and picked up my cell phone and I called AAA. Come on, that's right. I'm not going to do this. I'm not going to get out. I'm going to have AAA do this. So I got off the phone with AAA, called my wife, told her the situation, put on some music. Well, shortly after that, I noticed a police car coming from my left. Didn't think anything of it. It's just a police car. Hey, how you doing? And then about a minute later, another one coming a little faster from my right. Then suddenly there was a bright, shining light in my rearview mirror with red and blue flashing lights. I knew something was up. Then I heard this, get out of the car with your hands up. Well, mama didn't raise no dummy. I got out right away. Hello, how you doing? Hey, I'm here. And then I heard, turn around and walk backwards to the sound of my voice. I can do that too. And as I'm walking backwards, the other officers are guns drawn going toward my car, thinking like there might be somebody else in that car. There was no one else in that car but my coffee cup. And I'm hoping right now at this point they're not going to put a hole in my coffee cup because that's how important that coffee cup is to me. But they're drunk, guns loaded and ready to go in. I'm like, all right, I'm moving backwards. The next thing I hear is stop, kneel down, and put your hands behind your head. I'm slacks, nice shirt, nice work clothes. I'm now kneeling in the dirt in the desert with my hands behind my head. An officer is handcuffing me, lifting me up and escorting me to the front of the car. Up until this moment in my life in 2003, I believed any person standing in front of a cop car handcuffed was doing something wrong and going to jail. Now that I have watched Live PD a lot of times, and I am part of the uh, Fort Bend County Sheriff's Office as a chaplain, I realize, and back in 2003, realized that's not always true. 
I found out that from these officers that gunshots were heard in the area, and there was a suspicious green Jeep Cherokee parked in the desert. This guy's suspicious <laughs> green Jeep Cherokee. So I decided to get a little smarter and start name dropping to get out of this situation. Hey, do you know officer so-and-so? Hey, I'm in a Bible study. Did you know I was a pastor at one time working at a church? I threw everything I could to get out of that. Eventually, the officer said to me, we should probably get you out of those handcuffs. Uh, this is a mistaken identity situation. Well, in life, much like my Jeep, things aren't always meant to be stuck. We're not supposed to be stuck. But there are times in our lives we do get stuck. We find ourselves in a rut. Sometimes we get stuck relationally. We think the relationship is going a certain direction. Maybe it's with a coworker. Maybe it's with a boss, a neighbor, maybe our spouse. And for whatever reason, it's not working. And we feel stuck. Sometimes we find ourselves stuck in a rut financially. We've reached hard times. We found ourselves maybe without a job. And we don't know how to get out of it. No matter what we try to do to get out of it, it's not working. We're stuck in a rut. Maybe we've been stuck spiritually. We remember the time when our relationship with God was growing. It was dynamic. We felt connected. But right now, that is far from reality. No matter what we do, no matter how hard we pray, we are stuck. And for what many of us, maybe all of us, have experienced at some time in our life, we can get stuck in a negative pattern where everything that happens in our life, we look at it from a negative perspective. And the one thing about being stuck in a negative perspective, it tends to permeate into all other aspects of our life. Being negative can affect us relationally. Being negative can keep us stuck financially. Being negative can affect us professionally, even spiritually. Being negative has a tendency to have an, an, an influence on all aspects of our life. So out of curiosity, how many of you in here know somebody who's negative, who complains, who's frustrated about life? Their glass is half empty if it's not empty altogether. How many of you, raise your hand, know somebody who's negative? Okay. There's a lot of people in here that know negative people. Well, here's the truth. Misery loves company. The moment someone begins to complain, you ever notice this? People tend to gravitate, like, open invitation, time to dive on board, time to get involved. Oh, yeah, I'm going to complain too because that's what this person's doing. I'm on the complain bandwagon. Life's negative, and we're going to go at it right now. Negative, negative, negative. There's something to be said that there's nothing that unites people more than disagreement, right? They love that opportunity to get together. Misery loves company. There's some level of a, uh, companionship that's associated. Once you find somebody who's in a dark spot, a tight spot, a really tough time in their lives, and they're in there stuck in this rut over and over and over, what, what happens to them? Their mode of operation, their MO, is to find someone for empathy, to find somebody who will give them compassion, to gather people around us so that we can share with them our struggles and the issues going on in our life. At some degree, it's not really that bad. I mean, it's important that we seek empathy. It's important that we seek out companionship and compassion. That's okay. But the one thing about that, even though we gather that empathy and that compassion, that will never get us out of a negative rut. It won't. Those things will never unlock the future to something different that God has in store for us. 
And in many ways, it becomes frustration and misery and negativity and all those things, they pile onto one another and it creates this downward spiral, this downward spiral of life as it gets worse and worse. And at the end of the day, it's where none of us want to be. At the end of the day, it's none of this is what we want to experience. It's not what God had in mind for us. See, God wants us to experience a different type of life. The Bible says, and he describes it as having life to the full. Look what Jesus told us in John chapter 10, verse 10. He says, I have come that they may have life, and what? Have it to the full. An abundant life. A joy-filled life. So what does it look like to step out of the rut of negativity? You know, what does it look like to step into a more joy-filled experience that God desires in our life? What is the key that unlocks the future? What is it that we need to put in place in order to experience this life that God has for us? Well, that's what we're going to talk about this morning. That we're going to try to get there in this short amount of time that we have together. So if you have your Bible, or if you have a Bible app on your phone, I'm going to ask that you pull it out this morning. Because what I would like you to do, if you have your Bible, is to grab a pen, and I'd love for you to underline the passage of Scripture that we're going to look at. I would love for you to even highlight it on your phones. And it is a passage of Scripture that we are all familiar with. 1 Corinthians Chapter 13. If you've been to a wedding before, you've heard this verse. If you've been just a short amount of time, you're just a brand new believer in Christ, and you're diving into God's word, you've read this. You know this passage of Scripture. It's very familiar. It's known as the love chapter. It's a description of God's love. It's a description on how God intends for our lives to be loving toward one another. What we believe is this, is that love is the key that unlocks our future. When we fill the ruts in our life with God, when we fill the ruts of life with love, it releases God's joy in our lives. We could talk about what it means to be unstuck because we all have been in a position where we've got to be stuck. So we're going to talk today about how do we get out of this negative perspective. But it's going to be tempting to want to think, as I am speaking this morning, about someone else that you may be sitting by or that comes to this church or somebody that you do life with where they're negative. And you're going to say to yourself, man, I hope they're listening today. And I want you to fight all temptations to do this. Hey, you listening? Hey, you listening? Hey, hey, you listening? Because this conversation today is for all of us. This message is for me. This message is for you. This message is for them. The truth is that all of us at different seasons in our life, because of very different circumstances, we can find our perspective of being stuck, stuck in a negative perspective. And instead of applying it to someone else, allow God to do work in your life, to bring you into the journey that he wants to bring you in so that you can experience God's best and God's joy for your life and allow for God to get you unstuck. Okay, so here are the words from 1 Corinthians chapter 13, beginning in verse 4. Love is patient and kind. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. It does not demand its own way. It is not irritable. It keeps no record of being wronged. See, Paul is sharing his perspective, his picture of what love looks like through God's economy. Paul is writing a letter here to the church at Corinth. And this is an encouraging letter. He's like, you guys are doing great. You're really growing in your faith. And I just want to encourage you to keep doing that. Keep living out what it means to be a follower of Jesus every single day. 
But then he feels it's important in chapter 13 to describe what love is. He gets to the point where he wants to describe what love is and what love is not. He says love is patient. Love is kind. But there's a whole other level of what love is not. Love is not jealous. Love is not boastful. Love is not prideful. Love is not selfish. Love keeps no record of wrongdoings. Be mindful of what love is, Paul says, but be mindful of what love is not. And so why is he so clear to define that in terms of how to live that out? I think one reason is, in every single relationship that you and I have, there are what I would call gaps. There are gaps between what we expect to happen and what actually happens. There are gaps what actually happens in our interpretation on the way it played out. The reality is, is that most circumstances of life, there is what's happened, but we'll take what happened and we'll frame it in the context of a greater story. People who are positive tend to frame situations into the positive narrative. People who are negative will frame it in a negative narrative. And it's not about what happened. It's about what we, what we will do with what happened. There are the gaps. But the question is, what do you fill those gaps with? All right, for example, he told you he would be home at 4 o'clock. It's 5 o'clock. You haven't heard from him. Well, here's what's happened. He's late. Okay, he's late. The question is, what are you going to do with what's happened? What are you going to do? How are you going to perceive with what's going on? One way to view it is to view it positively. We could say he's working hard to provide for his family. He loves us so much. He's willing to go all in for us. He's doing the very best to provide for his family. I'm sure something came up and he'll be home soon. That's one way to frame it. Then there's another way to frame it. He's late again. He cares nothing about us. He cares more about work than he does about the most important people in his life. He doesn't even think to call. He devalues his family. What's up with that? There's what's happened, and then there's what we do with what happened. Or you invited a good friend to lunch. You ask her if she wants to go to lunch or maybe to one of her favorite restaurants. She says she can't go. She's busy. Well, here's what's happened. She said no. One way to frame it would be to say she must be busy. Her life must be really difficult right now. I wonder if I can come alongside her and serve her and help her during this very difficult time. The other way to frame it is this. Is she mad at me? Did I do something wrong? Are we even friends anymore? See, there's what's happened, and then there's what we do with what's happened. And the truth is there are gaps in every single relationship. Whether it be work, whether it be our relationships with our neighbors, our friends, our coworkers, our spouses, our kids, there are gaps. And so what are we going to fill those gaps with? Paul reminds us, when there is a gap, you fill it with love. When you have a gap, you fill it with love. See, we'll do one of two things. We'll see the worst of the situation, or we'll see the best. So with the remaining time that we have this morning, I want to walk through three principles of how to get ourselves unstuck when it comes to negative, negative patterns and how to get unstuck in relationships and how to fill these gaps. And the first principle is this. In order to get unstuck in our relationships, we need to see the best in one another. Love sees the best. Love always sees the best. Love takes what's happened and frames it in the best possible circumstances, giving someone the benefit of the, benefit of the doubt every single 
time. And when we place love in the gaps of life, it releases God's joy in our journey and in our relationships. But it's so much easier to go negative, isn't it? Isn't it easier and just to go by default right to the negative side of looking at life? A few years ago, a man took a picture of his cat because his cat made a face that was negative. And he called that cat Grumpy Cat. I'm not sure how many of you remember Grumpy Cat, but he became a, a real, an internet sensation. And uh, he was, uh, anytime there, there was a grumpy face, he would take a picture and add a caption to it. Now, I think this guy was the start of the meme generation. If you don't know what a meme is, it's a picture with a caption. Sometimes it's uh, encouraging. Sometimes it's about leadership. Sometimes it's a joke, making fun, whatever it is. But this guy kind of launched this sensation. And he wanted to take this perspective of his cat, which was negative, and bring light to it. Here, here's for instance, here's one of those right here. There's Grumpy Cat. I hate morning people and mornings and people. Okay, a little grumpy. Here's another one. What doesn't kill you isn't working. Nope. And finally, the last one here. If at first you don't succeed, good. Now, we look at that and we get a chuckle out of it and laugh, but in all reality, a negative perspective, a grumpy perspective, robs us of our joy. It robs us of the, of the essence of life. It, the truth be known, it also robs the joy in the lives around us. It's not the best place to live. There was a book that, uh, written not too long ago. The book was called The One Thing You Need to Know. It was written by Marcus Buckingham. And I've had the opportunity to hear Marcus speak at different conferences around the country, and I've read a couple of his books. He's a phenomenal author. And he wanted to write a book about happily married couples. And he put some research in there about why some couples are happy and why other married couples are not happy. And what he thought, what he expected to find was that couples that were happy had set low expectations in their marriage. So when something came up where a um, spouse didn't meet an expectation, the expectation was so low, it didn't have a negative influence. But those that, of those that were married that were not happy had set too high of expectations. That's what he thought he would find. But what he found was something completely different. He found something that he would call a positive illusion of one another. A positive illusion of one another. A test was given to happily married couples and unhappily married couples. It was a test, it was a list of characteristics. And each person was to rate themselves on that characteristic and then rate their spouse. So for instance, if I rated myself a three in patience, my wife would give me a seven. Or if my wife rated herself a six in compassion, I would give her a nine. And what he described over and over is that this had a positive illusion of one another, so much so that it created an upward spiral of love in their, journal, in their journey. What he's saying is this, they learned to see the best. They learned to insert love in the gaps. And when there was a gap that needed an explanation, their response was patience and kindness. It was the most generous possible explanation of what took place. They were always seeing the best in one another. I know as, that I, as I'm saying this that there are some of you that are a couple steps ahead of me. You're saying, okay, so what you're trying to tell me is that I need to just be in denial. You're telling me to be naive. You're telling me just to avoid the brutal, the brutal facts. What you're telling me to do is that if there's a broken relationship, I'm to ignore it. Act like it's not there and move on with the illusion. But that's not what I'm telling you. 
I know that in some relationships, there are some inappropriate behaviors that have to be addressed. There are some issues that have to be addressed, and they have to be addressed head on. I'm not asking you to live in denial here. You address the things you need to address. But what I'm saying is also this. Many times what actually happens and what we believe about what happens are actually two different things. When the gap exists, choose to see the best. Look what Paul said in Philippians chapter 4, verse 8. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, see the best. Whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, see the best. Whatever is commendable, if there's any excellence, if there's any worthy, anything worthy of praise, think about these things. See these things. See, love is the key that unlocks tomorrow. When we place God's love in the gap of our life, it releases God's joy in the journey. See the best. There's a second way. In order to get unstuck in our relationships, we must give joy to others. So see the best and then give joy to others. I heard a story about a man and a woman that had been married for 25 years. And on their 25th anniversary, they decided to go dancing. They thought this would be a great way to celebrate. They went to a dance hall and they're dancing together. And just to the right of them dancing was a man that was just like the Fred Astaire of the dance hall. He was dancing, a dancing fool. He was doing backflips and break dancing. The spotlight was on him. Everybody was watching him. And at one moment, the wife leaned over to her husband and said, Honey, you know that that man dancing over there asked me to, to marry him 25 years ago, and I said no. Her husband turned really quickly and said, Well, it looks like he's still celebrating. <laughs> Sometimes it's hard to give joy. We give a lot of things, we give an attitude. We give an ultimatum, we give a hard time, we'll give a silent treatment, we give a lot of things. But sometimes it's difficult to give joy. See, what's true about me and what I think is true about a lot of us is our default position is to go negative. We don't have to try to go there, it's a natural place for us to go. That's an easy place to live. But if we wanna live differently, if we wanna be above the negative, it requires intentionality. We have to be intentional. We have to learn to give something, and we have to learn to receive something. I don't know how many of you have ever taken a personality assessment test. I was a psychology major in college, and I studied counseling. I have taken my fair share of assessment tests. I am one word. I'm a number. I'm a bunch of letters. I'm a, you know, a description of an animal. I'm, I'm a variety of different things. One thing is for certain that if you know me at all, and this might be a shock to you, I'm an extrovert. Okay, I love people. My wife always says, you love being around a large group of people. It just seems to energize you. And that is true. I really do feel um, energized when I'm with people. And I am an extrovert. But one thing is true about personality tests. As you get older, you, you tend to level out. You're not as extreme as you were when you were younger. And in this case, I have found myself more recently withdrawing and being secluded and being by myself as a way of energizing myself. And I enjoyed it. But the problem is, because it's so new to me, that times like that when I withdraw, I don't realize that I'm withdrawing emotionally from my family. I don't realize the effects I'm having by being withdrawn from them. What happens when I get quiet and I withdraw, I start getting questions. Dad, what's wrong? What's going on? Dad, why are you so cranky? Which always leads you to be more withdrawn for some reason. You know, Dad, why are you so on edge? 
And I had no idea when that happened this past couple, a couple weeks ago. I don't know why. I kept being asked that question, what's going on? Finally, my wife said, honey, what's wrong? What's going on? I had no answer. It lingered all day long. Finally, I just had a time when I was by myself, and I said, God, I don't like this feeling. I am withdrawing, and I'm creating an injustice between my daughters and my wife and I. I'm, I'm not giving them anything of love, anything that's good. Would you change me in this moment? Will you change the way I feel right now? Paul talks about this in the sixth verse of chapter 13, where he says, love, it does not rejoice about injustice, but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. Another translation says, love does not delight in evil, it rejoices with the truth. Very simply put, love doesn't focus on the bad. Love focuses on the good, and we can say, God, I don't feel good. Change the way I feel. Help me get there. And there are times that God reminds me of this truth that I know deep within my soul that when I'm having a hard time putting love into play in my life, God reminds me of the very important truth that many times my emotions will follow my actions. If we start doing good, we'll feel good. If we start giving joy, we'll start experiencing joy. If we start doing better, we'll start feeling better. And I've had to make this commitment to God so that in that moment, whatever it takes, whether it be a big moment or a small moment, that I am going to start doing good. So there's times when I'm in the church office and I see a staff member walk by. I'm going to stop them. And I'm going to say hello to them. I'm going to ask them about their day. I'm going to ask them about their ministry, about their family. I'm going to start doing good so that I will feel good. I'm walking out of the church office. If somebody's walking in, I'll open the door for them and say hello and tell them to have a nice day. My mom used to tell me that from the moment I could speak, I said hi to everybody. And this day is true. Even my wife says, when I'm in the neighborhood, I don't even know if I know them or not, I'll wave to them. And my wife goes, do you know them? I go, no, I'm just saying hi. She's always saying hi. There are times where I just want to say hi to people as they walk in and just to do good so that I feel good. It just changes the perspective. And when I get in my car and I'm driving on 90 and I'm heading west toward Richmond toward my home, and you know on 90 there's a cultural couple pinch points where cars will merge over and, and uh, you know undoubtedly there's going to be a car that turns their turn signal on last moment and I'm going to want to do everything to speed up to that next car in front of me and go, not on my watch, ha <laughs> ha, no, no, no. Where God's going to say, back off the accelerator. Let them in. And then they're going to do this and I'm going to go, yeah. yeah. But by the time I get home and I walk through the door, my family is going to receive the good side of their dad and their husband. Because I started doing good and I started feeling good. It feels good and it builds. And it's all about that receiving and giving of joy. It's something that just changes in me. There is a direct correlation between what we do and how we feel. Think about that statement. There is a direct correlation between what we do and how we feel, between what we give and what we receive. And the truth is, hurt people tend to hurt people. We know this. Many of you in this room know that through generation after generation in your family, hurt people tend to hurt people. I can stop that chain. You can stop that chain. When we're met with anger, we can respond with compassion. When we're met with contempt, we can respond with kindness. When someone gives us some sort of attitude, we can respond with a smile. We can learn to forgive. 
We can forget without holding any fault. Why? Because love is the key that unlocks our future. Love is the peace that ushers in the new tomorrow. And when we place love in the gaps, it yields joy in our journey. Look what Paul says in Galatians chapter 5, verses 13 and 14 from the message paraphrase. It is absolutely clear that God has called you to a free life. Just make sure that you don't use this freedom as an excuse to do whatever you want to do and destroy your freedom. Rather, use your freedom to serve one another in love. Give joy. That's how freedom grows. For everything we know about God's word is summed up in a single sentence. Love others as you love yourself. That's an act of true freedom. As I think about freedom on this weekend, I can't help but think about those men and women who served in our armed forces to allow us to have the freedom that we have today, to allow us to have the freedom to sit in this very room and worship and grow and learn together. I heard a story about a woman. Her name was Samantha Jones. She lived in Boston, and she went to Dunkin' Donuts to get, do to get some donuts for her kids. When she got back to her car, she noticed an envelope on the windshield. She opened up the, uh, the envelope, and inside the envelope was a card and a generous financial gift. And in the card it said, I saw your bumper sticker. The bumper sticker said, half of my heart is in Afghanistan. She said, I saw your bumper sticker. When half your heart returns, use this gift to celebrate. Thank you for being a hero, for him being a hero in serving, for you being a hero for waiting. God bless you. She was so moved by that. She, it just drew her to tears, and she went home, and before she even had a chance to tell the other half about the gift, she posted it on social media, and within a short moment, she had 150,000 likes and 42,000 shares. Why? Because we love moments like that. When you give joy, you receive it. When you do good, you feel good. It's an amazing principle of love. If you ever find yourself in a rut or stuck in a negative pattern, Choose to see the best and choose to give joy. And lastly, last principle, in order to get unstuck in our relationships, we can never give up. Never give up. Verse 7, love never gives up, never loses faith, is always hopeful and endures through every circumstance. Love never gives up, it never throws in the towel, it never walks away. Love always perseveres, it always hopes, it always endures. Love never bails, and just a couple verses later, it says, this kind of love never fails. And this is the verse that my family has banked on, is the foundation of our life. It's been foundation of 26 years of marriage, through the highs and the lows, the ups and the downs, the good times and the bad times. Love never fails, and that's what we're going to base our family on moving forward. And that's what Paul is saying. This persevering type of love that is willing to endure whatever to ensure a better tomorrow. This is the love that unlocks the future. It is the opportunity that ushers in a new tomorrow and is what we need to fill the gaps in our life with. This kind of love. And as I read about this love, this love that endures, that's always faithful, always hopes, that never gives up, I can't help but think about God's love for me. I can't help but think about God's love for you. Here's the reality. There is a gap in my relationship with God. He didn't create it. I did. It was my shortcomings. It was my failures. It was my sin that created that gap between me and God. And do you know how God filled that gap? God was patient. God was kind. 
God is a God where he's not envious, he's not jealous, he's not self-seeking. God's not keeping a list of my wrongdoings. But instead, God delights in me, and God delights in you. He delights when we experience truth, and here's what is true about God. God never gives up. He never walks away. He is always there with us. God's love never fails. He doesn't fail me. He won't fail you. The challenge of my life and your life is that we would be so changed and so shaped by this generous grace and love of God that we would dispense it in the relationships that we encounter every single day. Every single day. That's how we fill the gaps in our life. We would give to others what we've received from God, that we would do unto others what God has done to us because God sees the best in you. God wants to give you joy in your journey. God will never, never give up on you. And if you want to get unstuck in your life, unstuck in your relationships with others, see the best, give joy, and never give up. Love is the key that unlocks tomorrow. When you place God's love in the gaps in our lives, you will receive God's joy in the journey. That's a promise from him. Let's pray. Let's pray together. God, thank you that your love never fails. That your love is always, it endures. That your love is unconditional. God, we need to hear that today, Lord. We don't want to be stuck in our relationships. We don't want to be stuck in a negative pattern. You have so much more for us to experience in this life. And we don't want to look back. We don't want to be held back. We don't want to get out of the ruts. We want to move forward. We want to get pulled out of that. And Lord, we know that we can be pulled out of that negative perspective by simply filling in the gaps with love, the love that you described in your word, the love that you showed through your son, Jesus, who went to the cross on our behalf That is the most incredible love we could ever experience. So God, thank you that your love never fails. And thank you for Jesus. And we pray this in his name. Amen.